It's Friday, May 20th. Friday. I can't stand that stuff. <laughs> it's the long weekend. I can't stand that Come stuff. Come on. It is the long weekend. Yeah. Is it the it's on the eve of the I guess last night was the eve of the long weekend. This sure. is the long weekend. We're here. May long. This will be my first May long in about 25 years where I'm not wheeling <laughs> with my pals, my family members just uh southwest of Calgary at one of our favorite spots. Uh, get the jeeps out and uh, do some exploring but this year it's a little bit different enemy territory we're on baby watch oh i'm trying to talk about the baby you all you want to go straight to the battle of alberta i'm nervous i understand it <laughs> i get it no I, nobody would blame you because the battle of alberta is is weaving itself and entrenching itself into people's lives it's relevant for almost everybody, whether you like hockey or not, it's got a grip on us. Yeah, tell me some baby stuff. I'd rather hear some. Well, I don't life. have any baby stuff to report, except for that I will not be wheeling. <laughs> I will not be out of... And this is a decision that I am uh, very happy to make. Sure. I'm not lamenting the fact that I will not be out. Uh, but just, uh, you know, it, it's the right thing to do to be home. Um, it would definitely be the wrong move uh, to be out of cell reception and, uh, you know, like winching rigs out of trouble... Uh, getting out of harm's way <laughs> with your gumboots on when baby arrives. No bueno. Nobody would be happy about that, most especially mama. And that story would live for years. As a matter of fact, it would live in perpetuity. Sure. You would never really be allowed to forget the decision you had made. Well, good luck to you. I know we're getting pretty close here, right? Mm-hmm. So we're still putting shows together on Real Talk, everybody. Don't worry. But there will be a time... At some point, we don't know when. When you run out of the studio. When all of a sudden there's going to be a tweet that's like, today's Real Talk is canceled and I'll see you in a few days. Yeah. And we're all really excited about that. I'm excited about today's show coming up in just a second. Sapria Devetti, uh, in her regular Friday spot, we got a lot to get into. She told me she wants to talk about Pierre Poliev. Uh, jumping on Jordan Peterson's podcast, but I don't think she's, I, I, we don't, Supri and I on purpose do not talk very much about the content until she's on. Yeah. We don't want to waste it all ahead of time. Uh, we we want to get each other's takes and then respond to them in real time so you can see them and you can take it in and it's real talk. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 I get this vibe from her. I don't think, I don't know. I don't even want to say too much, but I, I don't think she's going to like pile on Pierre Polia. That's not the, that's not the angle I think she's taking, but I don't know. And then our real talk roundtable today, we, we've we've got Warfire. Alberta politics talk mm -hmm. all teed up. And I had to ask two of our panelists, and I, I feel like Don King, the fight promoter, right now. And I'm not trying <laughs> to set that up because they're 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 professionals, and they're both you know they can they have the potential to be delightful human beings. But I've seen a little I've seen a little spiciness between two of our panelists before online. So we'll see. Uh, Kathleen Smith, I'm a big fan of hers. You probably mm -hmm. follow her on. Chances are you follow her on Twitter at Kiki Planet. She's a political podcaster and online commentator. Blaze Bomer, who was Jason Kenny's director of communications for several years, and then round. This thing out. We're talking provincial politics, Alberta. Obviously, it's one of the big national stories this week. Premier Jason Kenney resigning, but like kind of not really. <laughs> someone said today, I saw someone tweeted, he pulled a Costanza. He had a big high profile resignation and then just showed up to work the next day like nothing had changed. <laughs> Kenny's going to stick around. Barry Morishita, who's the leader of the Alberta party, will round out our Real Talk roundtable. And, and I saw a Real Talker already when we announced it from our Twitter account. Uh, the lineup for today's show, Chalk84 said, that 
that's a crew for the round table. Holy. Yeah, the chat always gets going when like uh, Blaze it. checks in. Yeah, that's good. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. We want to get different perspectives. We want to challenge each other and, and give our panelists a chance to hold each other's feet to the fire, too. So all that's coming up. This show is presented by our friends at Bitcoin Well. I don't have to tell you that the entire cryptocurrency landscape has been impacted by factors that are also impacting tech stocks. Look at the NASDAQ. Look at the TSX. People are trying to make sense of this and what it all means. There's a lot of political jibber-jabber about Bitcoin in particular, and people have questions. I never will tell you to buy Bitcoin. If you have it, I will never tell you to sell it. I'm not advising you on finances, and you should never listen to any financial advice from me, implied or otherwise. But if you're looking for advice... You have questions and you want answers. I recommend you talk to the team at Bitcoin Well under the Sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We got our roundtable set to go, locked and loaded about 23 minutes from now. We got Blaze Bomer, Kathleen Smith, and Barry Morishita set to check in uh, right now, leading us off in her Friday spot is uh, the great Sapria Duvetti, who's uh, joining us from Toronto this morning. Of course, a lot of people in Toronto are paying very close attention. You've got a provincial election going on in Ontario right now, and that's a big deal. And then you've got this federal conservative leadership race and then you've got Alberta's premier resigning. Jason Kenney says 51.4% in the leadership review. Not enough uh, for him to stick around. Uh, Supriya, I'm curious to know, first of all, does the story make noise in Ontario? Are people in, in the big smoke paying attention at all to what's happening in Alberta? Or is this something that you had to do a little reading up on so you could join us here on Real Talk? No, no. I mean, I think generally, um, Jason Kenney, you know, because of the fact that he was a federal fixture for so long. And I mean, isn't he from Oakville, technically? Like he he's is. an Ontario boy, right? Ontario so, boy, Saskatchewan schooled. Yeah. R- right. So, I mean, I, I think that in and of itself garners um, probably a little bit more attention just because of that. But I think people generally are watching this a little closer simply because we are in the middle of a conservative uh, leadership race on the federal side of things. And I think people are trying to glean some lessons with respect to Kenny and, you know, his own caucus management and arguably to a degree being eaten by his own. Right. And what implications that may hold for the federal conservatives going forward? Yeah. What what implication do you think it has for the federal conservatives? Uh, Number one, aside from maybe the fact that I can't help but wonder, and this is a storyline I don't see a lot of people talking about, maybe because it's spilled milk and it's not worth uh, crying over if you're Jason Kenney, but you have to wonder if he would want to be part of that federal conservative leadership race. Because to be honest... Isn't it too late? Well, I, feel, of course, I feel like yeah, he probably would. It's got to yeah. be too late, but like he would smoke Pierre Polyev in a leadership race, wouldn't he? Or am I, am I delusional? I don't know. I mean, I, maybe, but it's it, Pierre has such an interesting thing going for him right now in that he seems to be appealing to a lot of folks that wouldn't necessarily take part in the political process to begin with, right? Like he's not necessarily only going for folks that have already voted in, in, in conservative uh, leadership races or have voted generally. And I think he's appealing to a demographic that's just sort of like, fuck the system. Um, whereas I don't know if Kenny appeals to that same sort of demographic to the same degree. But I mean, w- you know, what you just said isn't exactly um, an outlier of an opinion. I think a lot of people probably hold that opinion 
opinion, but I think also Jason Kenny may just be um, yesterday's man in mm. a lot of ways um, insofar as his politics and his political style never really evolved to the reality in which we find ourselves today. Um, he was always sort of stuck in that 2011 conservative majority, you know, federal wise um, mindset. Um, and I'm not sure that necessarily helped him. We had a really interesting conversation yesterday, a great roundtable with um, Erica Brutis, the founding president of the UCP. Yeah, she's my colleague at Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. she is. I, by the way, sorry, when, whenever you I, I always after the fact, look back on how I introduce you. And because we're pals ah, and because, you know, we have a lot of fun good. together. Yeah. And I'm always like, I should probably provide your credentials and remind everybody. I'm, but I'm just like, here she is. What a yeah. beauty. Supriya <laughs> Devetti. Like, oh, yeah, at Enterprise and, and, you know, out of McGill and doing a lot of work and, you know, uh, an amazing uh, making an impact in Ontario. But so Erica and, and Melissa Cowett, conservative strategist and uh, rounding out our roundtable yesterday was Deputy Premier, formerly Deputy Premier Thomas Lukasik with the progressive conservatives and a good conversation about that. But they got into it um, on whether or not Kenny had struggled as a leader more cut out to be or or in a position to better thrive for example as as a lieutenant right for example under Stephen Harper and how there were a lot of leadership challenges that that evidenced themselves early and that's the type of thing that you can't hide for too long if you lack leadership ability if you lack the ability to keep your team together to keep your team united despite robust differences of opinion to present a united front then your leadership is going to expire. Uh, effective leadership will expire anyway, and, and that's probably what happened here. If it happens on the provincial stage, what's to say it wouldn't happen potentially in more disastrous fashion on the federal stage? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting, though, because um, Howard Anglin had a very interesting piece. He's a former you know, senior Harper advisor. He was principal secretary to Kenny. And I mean, his take was more or less that Kenny was almost too beholden to the Westminster style of, of politics and almost gave some of the, you know, more rowdy or vociferous critics in his caucus too much of a platform. And he, you know, instead of tamping down on them in the way some other leaders uh, would have, um, Kenny was almost too principled for his own good. And I, I, I don't I don't know if that's necessarily correct, but, you know, Howard obviously has a much uh, closer view to that than than I would, and I think it's an interesting take, um, and would certainly align with uh, what Ottawa folks that I know from the federal conservative side who would have known Kenny in that respect. So it, it is just interesting to me. On I, I always love hearing you know from the insiders whenever stuff like this happens, whether it's like liberal NDP or conservative, because they always tend to have the the most insight into this sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, Donna on our live chat says yesterday uh, Jason Kenny confirmed what Thomas Lukasik was saying about hanging around and being premier. And it's, it is an interesting scenario right now. Uh, people are, you know, and I think Jason Kenney welcomed the comparisons at first. He was trying to get everybody to compare him to Ralph Klein. You know, he made announcements from the, from the same area behind the same looking podium. He even brought out old, brought out old Ralph Klein campaign signs and stood behind them. I mean, he was sort of trying to present himself as Ralph 2.0. And a lot of people that knew Alberta's former premier that, that knew Ralph uh, first name basis for everybody in Alberta at the <laughs> time uh, would say Ralph Klein couldn't fucking stand Jason Kenny like this. Like the guy would oh, be rolling in his grave <laughs> if you knew that Kenny was invoking his name as part of this. The reason I bring it up is that that Ralph Klein received to, to what uh, Stephen Carter said, the political strategist last night at their strategist live event. He said that 55 percent approval rating handed to Ralph Klein was a, was a surprise to 
just Ralph. In other words, everybody saw it coming, but he didn't see it coming. And leaders oftentimes have a hard time understanding that, like you just said, they may have become yesterday's man or yesterday's woman. They may be yesterday's leader. And it's tough sometimes to convince them to leave. Now, Ralph had the sort of social capital, or or at least to, to a certain faction, the Marthas and Henrys, as he would call them, he had justification or he had enough, a long enough leash uh, to be able to stick around after that 55% for a while and not really screw the party to the floor, not really have too much of a, uh, of a negative impact on, on the subsequent leadership race or what would happen with the progressive conservatives after the fact. In other circumstances, for example, on, under the scandal-ridden Allison Redford administration, I mean, she was obviously having a, a difficult time uh, navigating pretty choppy waters with, you know, doctored flight manifests and things like that in the really expensive trip, $45,000 to go to Nelson Mandela's funeral. People in Alberta were outraged. The Sky Palace construction, I mean, people were pissed off, right? And so when she announced her resignation, Dave Hancock swore in as Alberta's premier four days later. They they stopped the bleeding. They got rid of the problem and the party moved on. Jason Kenney, after this caucus meeting yesterday, saying, I'm going to stick around until September. Like he's going to stick around through the spring, through the summer, this leadership race. He's going to be there the entire time. Uh, And you have to wonder what that's going to do, not just to the dynamic of the party, but also what it would how it would impact the field of leadership contenders. I mean, do you think in your world, uh, you've, you've advised campaigns, you're a strategist, you know how it works. Is there any justification to stick around once you've tendered your resignation after receiving 51.4%? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I think right off the top, you'd mentioned that um, a, a Twitter follower had said it's the Costanza way to do things. Yeah. And I think that's almost the best sort of comparison. It's like, yeah, I'm resigning. And then the next day it's like, psych. Um, not really. Uh, I'm going to stick around and I'm going to, you know, I mean, technically this was going to be his best summer ever because he doesn't actually have to put as much work into it and can just do the barbecue circuit or whatever it is else that he wants to do. But I think there is something to be said about um, needing to stay on until they figure out who the next in command is. Right. And um, I don't think it was like the smoothest process because um, there were a lot of folks that were, you know, going back and forth uh, in terms of like conservative insiders or whatever that were trying to figure out what the deal was. And um, I, I don't know, I, it, it'll be interesting to see what some of the uh, leadership contenders that are viable, you know, in a, in a position to actually viably win, um, what they'll have to say about this, because I think in the immediate aftermath, there's a lot of like, polite sort of, you know, Canadianism of like, oh, okay, thank you for your lead. Thank you for your service, blah, blah, blah. Like it's going to take a while for the real knives to come out and for the real, you know, hot goss to make its way from uh, back rooms into the, you know, foreground, let's say. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's what people look forward to. And then at the same time, your heart's in your throat a little bit, right? Like, especially if you live in the jurisdiction where this is happening yeah. and you just sort of want to, I mean, this will happen. There's not a lot of action at the Alberta legislature legislature you know between june and and the fall so maybe that saves maybe that keeps things a little less awkward with you know for example cabinet members that may seek the leadership uh you know people are running for example the finance minister travis taves he's kind of the sleeper in all this and i think people that are looking for a i don't mean to 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 have a gendered uh expression but sort of a steady eddy uh type leader i think travis taves might be the quiet favorite there remains to be seen you asked us to pull a clip from Jordan Peterson and Pierre Polyev, but you said no more. 
And so yeah. we'll tee it up. I don't know what direction you're going to take it in, but a whole bunch of folks, I think, have Googled the phrase Anglo-Saxon to try to determine if there's a, a racial undertone to this comment from Pierre Poliev talking to the uh, famed or infamous U of T psychology professor. Here he is from Jordan Peterson's podcast. What makes you credible on the hope front, do you think, in terms of your what you're offering and, and who you are? Because I speak clear plain language that makes sense to people. So, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in using simple um, Anglo-Saxon words that strike right at the, uh, the meaning uh, that I'm trying to convey. It trended. It's still trending. What's your take on it? <sighs> okay. So, I mean, first and foremost, um, it's worth noting that the term Anglo-Saxon, yes, has devolved to mean sort of dog whistly type politics. Um, I don't actually think that's what was being intended here. And the problem, in my view, is that in jumping on this, there is just so much legitimate criticism to be able to throw uh Polyev and his, you know, the, the folks are, are around him, particularly as it relates to like these sorts of dog, dog whistle type politics, right, or embarking on arguably somewhat, you know, dangerous rhetoric on like conspiracy theory stuff like the Great Reset or even his nonsense about Trudeau being the one causing inflation right now. Um, I, I kind of find it somewhat silly that people would jump on the, on him for this. And like, I get it. I, I get that we're, you know, all very concerned with the direction of uh, politics, not just in this country, but, you know, arguably in very many jurisdictions around the world, including right directly to the south of us. So I, I get all of that. But if nothing else, um, in jumping on him for this, it really allows him and his team to be like, see, Everyone criticizing me is just making a big deal out of nothing. And they see white supremacy everywhere. And it's just uh, it's just these liberal, you know, uh, lapdogs trying to tar all conservatives. And it's like, well, no, but, you know, even a stop clock, yada, yada. Like and it's just it gives him political cover because um, like the next time he actually does say something conspiratorial or otherwise bonkers adjacent or dog whistly, he has this to sort of fall back on. And I, I don't know. I, I just um, there's all sorts of, again, very legitimate criticism to pin on him. And in talking about this, like notion of what Anglo-Saxon really means in this context, we're sort of all forgetting the fact that he willingly went on to Jordan Peterson's podcast, who, you know, himself is kind of like king of the incels. And like, I, I get why any conservative would want to go on Peterson's, um, you know, YouTube channel or podcast. He has like a gajillion subscribers, very well known, you know, very well, I guess, respected in, in, in some conservative circles. Uh, a lot of it makes sense, um, particularly once you think about the, the demographic that Pierre and his team are very clearly trying to um, bring into the conservative um, membership fold, right? Like younger men, um, you know, I would say like younger millennial men that are looking at affordability that are, you know, kind of crypto bro-y um, that a guy like Pierre sort of appeals to. And so it makes a lot of sense. All of this makes sense. And I think the irony of all of this and him, you know, talking about how clearly he speaks um, by using Anglo-Saxon words is that he, you know, very clearly wasn't actually speaking clearly because people were trying to figure out the meaning of what he said. The uh, it, it was interesting. Uh, our, our pal Charles Adler 
dragged Pierre Polyev a bit this week uh, when he learned that um, Vashi Capellos, who obviously you appear with uh, from time yeah. to time on, on, on national broadcasts on the CBC, Vashi does an amazing job. Um, Vashi divulged that of all the conservative leadership candidates that they've invited, uh, just Pierre Polyev has declined their invitation. We had him booked here on Real Talk quite some time ago. He canceled at the last minute. It's always disappointing. You want to have an opportunity to speak to as many people as you can, especially with these high-profile stories. So so Polyev's not doing those so-called mainstream interviews, but he grants an interview uh, to Jordan Peterson, which he's perfectly fine to do. He can do whatever he wants. Um, and we've seen that political strategy. Uh, Doug Ford's famous, what was the channel called? He came up with like his own channel. He had like his own yeah, news team. Yeah, Ontario News Network, On, I think it was Yeah, called. the Ontario yeah. News Network. And he had like a, a, a journalist. And I and I, I even hesitate to do the air quotes because I don't want to make fun of the person that was just probably trying to take a job in a competitive media landscape. But like, you got to be kidding me. It's 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 not, a, you're, you're not, it's not a, anyway, I digress. I think most people get why that's problematic. Um, and then you've even got other things which are strategically probably pretty smart uh, for embattled politicians or politicians that are having a tough time in the popularity context. Jason Kenney, for example, would not make himself available on several occasions for media scrums or to take direct questions, but he would make himself available, you know, for example, on Facebook Live where, you know, his his crew could vet the questions and he could take the questions he wanted and he could speak directly to his supporters. What's your and this is just three examples off the top of my head. There's many more, I'm sure. Uh, what's your take on that new approach and, and who politicians should talk to and the, the validity of certain interviews and, and the risks that they may or, or may not take? You know, for example, Polyev talking to Jordan Peterson. Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, really points to the fact that the media landscape has changed so drastically. Right. And I mean, you don't like I love Vashi, obviously, like full disclosure, <laughs> you know, and I think power in politics and I think um, their main, I guess, quote unquote, competitor in that time slot um, power play with Evan Solomon. They both do great work, um, but they both are very both Evan and Vashi and, you know, the mainstream sort of political broadcast reporters um, are very good at that so-called accountability interview. Right. Like they don't really let you um, skirt away from not answering the question or peddling bullshit um, on air a lot of the time. And so it makes sense why somebody would want to avoid that. And then just given the fact that, you know, he is in a leadership race um, right now, like what percentage of viewers of either of those shows you think are, you know, conservative members? Like, I think when you're going to the Facebook lives or you're going to, let's say, YouTube, or you're just doing your own sort of selfie video that you're posting to your own social channels, um, you're getting more people that are, you know, your quote unquote, your people to begin with. And that matters in, in, in a leadership race. Um, it's not necessarily the same sort of strategy one would want to employ in, in like a, a general um, election when you're trying to appeal to a much broader demographic mm -hmm. and you're trying to appeal particularly um, in the conservative, uh, you know, case to specific areas of the country, right? Like particularly in the GTA, you need those seats if you want to form government. So it's like, I, I, I kind of get why they do it. Um, and I, I don't see a whole lot of upside for Pierre and his team to say yes to those kinds of interviews, particularly when, um, you know, uh, somebody like Vashi is likely going to hammer him on the conspiratorial nonsense, um, like the Great Reset and the stuff he said about the World Economic Forum. And, you know, I, I'm sure so anybody worth their salt as a broadcaster would bring up the fact that uh, Michelle Rempel-Garner, who, yes, um, is involved in a senior role in the Patrick Brown uh, leadership campaign, but 
she, prior to joining the campaign, had written, um, you know, a, a, an op-ed, a very personal op-ed about how she has been in, you know, approached in public settings um, about her involvement with the World Economic Forum and how, you know, I, she, she ended the piece by saying the next time it's not just going to be a finger pointed in my face. And like, that's really fucking scary. Like all of this shit that we're, you know, like this disinfo conspiracy theory nonsense, like when you hone in on that rage, like it, it goes somewhere and it can lead us down a very dark place. I just think it always it, it only ever takes one person. It uh, only yeah. takes one person who's been radicalized or who's been influenced. You know, I, I, I'm not comparing myself to Michelle Rumpelgarner or anything, but this guy tweeted at me just the other day and said, if I ever see you in person, dot, dot, dot. And I'm sitting there going like, well, how the fuck am I supposed to take that? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what's that supposed to mean? If you ever see me in person, you'll what? You'll what? <laughs> you know, I mean, with my six-year-old, you'll what? Right? It's just, it's a fucked up thing to say to somebody. And these things happen. Politicians do get attacked. I mean, it happens. Yeah, look, I mean, when I was on air, um, I host here in, in Toronto on, on talk radio, you know, for the same company that you used to work for, Ryan, <laughs> um, I was I'd be approached all the time in public um, and it, I would often hesitate if somebody uh, asked if I was who I was, because, again, you don't know what that person is going to do. Um, and I used to get death and rape threats pretty regularly. And um, there's a difference between hey, yo, Jespo, I hate your face. And hey, yo, Jespo, I hate your face and I'm going to cut it. Or yeah. and there's even a difference between, yo, hey, Jespo, I hate your face and I'm going to cut it. And it'll probably be in the chorus parking lot. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all of those three things, they're gradations of, of the same sort of like crap that a lot of people in public life get. Um, but you have to take those those threats seriously. And I mean, I, I, I was open about this on your show the very first time I came on. Like, yeah. that's why I ultimately laughed, because it's just the environment that we're in with a lot of this misinformation and the peddling of it and the irresponsibility of, uh, you know, certain broadcasters um, who lean into that. Um, ha they have really real world offline implications for people. And that's dangerous. Yeah. Um you wanted to leave a second to talk about Canadian exceptionalism. And yeah. and I know that this is something that's been <laughs> forefront on your mind. And I always like it when you're here with us because you're, you're consistently uh, publishing op-eds in the nation's biggest papers and on the biggest. So I always like when we feel like we're getting a bit of a scoop on what's <laughs> what's keeping you awake at night or what's turning the, the wheels, what's turning the gear mechanisms in your brain. Uh, what has you on to this? Well, okay, I, I don't want to jump on uh, the person who tweeted this necessarily just because, it, you know, I feel like she did get very much uh, the ratio treatment on Twitter. Um, but Catherine McKenna, in the aftermath of the uh, Buffalo shooting, Catherine McKenna, of course, a former, um, you know, environment and, and uh, industry minister for or infrastructure minister for the federal government. And so she tweets something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing now, but just basically like, the horror unfolded down there and I'm super glad to be Canadian because, you know, yada, yada stuff doesn't happen here. And it, that sentiment, you know, for, for her is, is pretty commonplace uh, amongst a lot of the Canadian commentariat, right? Like whenever something terrible happens, we tend to um, be very smug in our Canadianness and be like, wow, it's got, that can't happen here. And of course there are differences with respect to like gun laws and access to guns and ammo and like body armor. And there's, you know, a myriad of, of cultural differences that I don't want to, um, you know, downplay. Uh, but the fact that anybody in Canada who has been paying attention over the last few years 
can act like we don't have the exact same fucking problems as the US when it comes to um, either something as insidious as the great replacement uh, theory or just, you know, racism more generally is diluting themselves to a degree that I think is, you know, almost um, comical if it weren't so dangerous in what they were pushing. Because in the last few years, right, um, and I'm just going to rattle these off the top of my head, but we've had, you know, Harper going hard on the niqab ban. You had the barbaric cultural practices tip line. You had the mosque shooting in uh, St. Foire, you know, which is a suburb of Quebec City. You had the CPC opposition to uh, a motion to condemn Islamophobia, which was in the direct aftermath of that mosque shooting, which, by the way, um, the killer uh, was very much uh, inspired by the Great Replacement Theory. Then you had the Toronto van attack. Then you had the UN Global Compact on Migration slash Yellow Vest Movement, where you had the Conservative Party saying and playing into all of the sorts of disinformation, conspiratorial nonsense about if we had signed on to this compact, then like somehow the UN was going to set our immigration targets. In the 2019 election, you had Trudeau having to wear a Kevlar uh, vest to one of the rallies. In the summer of 2020, you had this guy stormed the gates of Rideau Hall with loaded weapons and tons of ammo. Summer of 2021, the Afzal family was murdered here in London, Ontario. Um, you know, the 2021 election was just like an absolute rage-filled shit show. And then, you know, we have a freedom convoy just a few months ago that was like actively trying to overthrow and subvert democracy based on a lot of conspiratorial nonsense. So I, I think it's really easy for us to you know, pretend like none of this stuff is happening here and it's only happening because we're being poisoned by the big bad Americans. But I think we need to start looking inward and, um, you know, really factor in how we conduct ourselves in terms of like general political discourse and debate and how a lot of our own mainstream media coverage like talk radio and tabloid print actively feeds into this stuff and how some of the more legacy reporting about, um, you know, political uh, stories, they tend to suffer from like both sides itis to the degree in which it's almost like dumbed down to absurdity. Like none of this helps. And it certainly doesn't help the folks that are, you know, racialized or Jewish or Muslim or, you know, black, indigenous, whatever that are on the receiving end of a lot of the hate and, you know, all, in, in some cases, violence and very deadly violence. Mm. Great take, and I'm glad we made time for it, Supriya. Before you go, people, I, I want people to know you and I have a kind of a friendship where you're one of the first people I think of when I see something, and I always text you, you see this? I'm like, yeah. you see this? And this clip uh, from former President George W. Bush yesterday is making the rounds. I, we don't have to spend 20 minutes on it, but this just, it kind of, it's a little bit funny, except for it's not funny at all. Um, here's a look. In contrast, Russian elections are rigged. Political opponents are imprisoned or otherwise eliminated from participating in the electoral process. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. <laughs> Iraq, too. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> 75. Uh, <laughs> And everybody laughs. Everybody so cringe. It's, it's just. Uh, but it's what like, was your, oh, yeah. I mean, Freudian slip much, right? Like that's uh, like a brutal and unjustified invasion of Iraq, and then everyone goes, 
And he's like, oh, I'm 75. <laughs> it's like, no, but actually. Oh, but so actually. Many, so many anyway. lives lost. And so, eh, but like, at what point do you tap yourself out of giving speeches, though? Like, if you're making mistakes like that, he clearly was looking down at his notes. And like, I'm sure his notes didn't say Iraq. I hope not. Like, unless right? there's so unless like, there's a mole in the George W. Bush office, maybe. Yeah. I mean, you speak it at the George W. Bush Institute. It's it's it, it's one of those things that that video clip is like that's going to be around for a while. Um, yep. Yeah, that's just that's a that's a tough look. But I just think maybe it's nervous laughter in the audience. But just the the, the raucous laughter is kind of. I saw someone commented on Twitter just said, and they just laugh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so great to see your face uh, every single Friday. Sapria joins us here on the show, 840 Mountain Time, 1040 Eastern. She's the director of policy and engagement at the Center for Media, Technology and Democracy at McGill University, senior counsel for Enterprise Canada. And of course, a national columnist and political commentator on all the big shows, uh, including Power and Politics and Real Talk. We'll see you again next week. Bye, Ryan. See ya. Coming up in just a second, we have our uh, Alberta Politics Real Talk Roundtable. It's a tradition. Every Friday, we bring you a roundtable here on the show. Unless we've got a we've got a special opportunity. There was a, there was a few Fridays ago, for example, Jean Charest joined us on the Friday. We said, yeah, you can take the roundtable spot every once in a while. Yeah. If we can put a star in the spotlight, we'll do it. But Jean uh, Charest is a star. Uh, well, I think I think he's uh, he's he's a high profile Canadian, isn't he? We'll see what Blaze says. Yeah, we'll see what Blaze says about that. Yeah, actually, why not pick their brains? This this round table coming up blaze bomer uh kathleen smith and barry morishita we can throw anything at them and they'll be good to go on it but we'll focus on the future of politics in alberta what this means for the conservative movement what the ucp caucus is going to do right now what leadership contenders are thinking about this show doesn't happen without the support of amazing sponsors like infinity healthcare i want to let you know when we talk about infinity healthcare and the home care services they're providing that of course that's not what they're limited to uh, you can find them clients uh, across the edmonton region stony plain red deer across alberta as a matter of fact calgary canmore sherwood park lloyd minster what's up lloyd spruce grove lethbridge they're in banff what they do they hire healthcare professionals based on your needs and based on where you're at so you could get in touch with infinity healthcare from a jurisdiction maybe they're not in right now they're always hiring licensed professionals in those areas so this is this is kind of a double whammy type opportunity your family's looking for services like home support personal care nursing care even alberta health services self-managed care they can help you out if you're looking for work a new career opportunity check out their website infinity-8.ca maybe you're a healthcare aide a licensed practical nurse a customer care navigator you could find a new opportunity today with infinity healthcare same deal goes with Kubi Renewable Energy. I talked to their leadership group, Jake, Adam. I go, what do you want me to mention to people? They said, well, you can definitely mention we are always hiring. Kubi Energy is always looking for electricians, as an example. People who might be interested in working out of their office in Kamloops, BC. How cool would that be? Or you want to stay centered out of their Edmonton head office. They're not some big, boring corporation. You're working as part of a team directly impacting clean energy development in Canada. They're right now looking to hire a lead structural engineer. You can find more at kubienergy.ca slash careers. Now, if you're doing business with Kubi Energy, if they're installing your solar, we're getting into that time of year. Lots of sunlight means your system's probably going to be generating more power than you need. 
It's a great time to bring your business over to Park Power. Your residential solar setup could be putting money in your pocket through their solar rebate buyback program. You can find the details and sign up at parkpower.ca. They're also in the natural gas and internet business. If you bundle all three of those services together with your electricity, you can save money there and, of course, keep $70 in your pocket through that first month when you sign up with the promo code 2022 dash real talk this weekend i know the teams at st albert and sherwood dodge are going to be busy it's may long weekend which has everybody thinking about getting outside i mean this is essentially the door opening to summer isn't it i mean my little guy will tell me daddy not technically not technically till the end of june but it feels like summer out there we're thinking about tenting and trailering and getting our fishing boats into the water maybe our ski boats right what are you going to pull them with the Dodge Ram is Canada's number one choice. Same with the Jeep lineup. You'll find both. Lots of selection, new and pre-owned at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. And if this spring for you into the summer is a time of renewal, you're looking maybe for a fresh opportunity, maybe looking to kickstart your career in this new era, maybe you want to become an expert in AI or HR or something else. Athabasca University, Canada's online university, is a great place for you to start. You know that more than 40,000 Canadians are trusting their post-secondary experience to Athabasca U? It's because it's flexible. It's learning on demand, world-class accredited online programs and courses where you can learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. Plus, fantastic research happening there at AU. You can learn more about all of it, including researching your future opportunities at AthabascaU.ca. Obviously, one of the biggest stories this week has been the resignation of Alberta's premier, Jason Kenney, who received a 51.4% approval rating as part of his leadership review. Not enough to stay, so says Kenney, and so he will leave his post as leader of the United Conservative Party, but not till the fall. That means that Kenny will remain in his position. This announced yesterday afternoon following a caucus meeting, likely until September. We've put together a roundtable of folks I'm sure that will have a lot to say about this, and I'm excited to welcome all three of them back to the show. Kathleen Smith is an online political commentator who tweets as Kiki Planet and co-hosts the Women of Alberta Politics podcast. Uh, Blaze Bomer has been on the show before, former director of uh, communications for Alberta Premier Jason Kenney. He's the director of corporate comms and public affairs for national public relations. He's also done a lot of work four years with the Saskatchewan party government. And Barry Morishita is the leader of the Alberta party. He's the former mayor of uh, beautiful Brooks, Alberta, and the former president of uh, formerly AUMA, now known as Alberta Municipalities. It's great to have the three of you joining us. Uh, just in case it's not fresh of mind, top of mind, I want to remind you that uh, I know there's going to be decorum here. I don't have to say that, but you don't have to wait to be tapped on the shoulder. If you want, let's treat this like we're out for beers or coffee or whatever. You want to jump in, jump in. You want to challenge somebody, challenge somebody. Let's have some I fun. I want to jump in right away. Okay, Blaze, go ahead. What's I, up? I think your segue was great. You were talking about future opportunities, door-to-door uh, solar panel sales. I mean, the Premier has like his future wide open right now, so you should definitely tune in and consider those opportunities. Yeah. Well, what do you make? Were you were you uh, were you shocked by the announcement? Uh, you could hear the the air almost suck out of that room at Spruce Meadows when he said he was leaving. I don't think that the faithful expected him to leave. What did you think? 
I think they were shocked. I think I think his his speech was written at the last minute. Um, they probably didn't have a concession speech prepared, mm-hmm. uh, and that room was like legitimately shocked. And I think it's a it's it's going to be a part of Alberta history what what happened that night. <clears throat> And then we saw kind of the mulligan on the the resignation or, you know, just kind of like smoothing out his exit. Um, Smoothing out. That's a way to put it, (laughs) Blaze. Smoothing out the edges. Yeah. uh, But, you know, here we are. Um, It looks like uh, the time of of Jason Kenney as Premier of Alberta is, is over. Kathleen, were you surprised? I, I, I didn't. We, we had our uh, our sort of unofficial, unscientific poll on where people thought the numbers were going to land. A lot of people thought it would be between 50 and 60 percent. A lot of people thought between 60 and 70. Where were you at? I was between 50 and 60. Um, I, I actually wasn't that surprised that he announced he's leaving. I was more surprised when he was willing to stand in front of this province and say that 50 plus one was an acceptable enough bar for him to meet. Um, this is Jason Kenney. This, this is a man who uh, his, his mythology in Canadian politics is legendary. And for me, that was his moment of humiliation when he stood in front of Alberta and said, well, the Constitution says I only need 50 plus one. That stunned me. And nothing since then has really shocked me because when 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 Premier Kenny was willing to humiliate himself at that point, uh, no holds barred. At that point, the, the, the train is off the tracks and it's going to get super messy. So I was actually far more shocked by that than by the outcome. To state the obvious, uh, Barry, this is an opportunity for you and your party right now. People are trying to figure out what happens to the United Conservatives. Can they stay united? If they don't stay united, what happens to the moderate or the centrist flank? Some people are wondering if this could mean big bump in membership for the Alberta party. How are you processing the news? Uh, You're invested in this. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And and I was surprised uh, that he quit. I mean, he just, uh, I really was. I I didn't think, I think he believes in himself so much that I just thought he'd keep going regardless of what people were saying. That's been his kind of operational uh, mentality as premier in every single issue. He, he doesn't really listen to anybody. But then I don't think the UCP were really listening to anybody either. Their entire caucus has been kind of holding this up. And the latest little iteration where they're going to have them stay on and linger in the hallways. Uh, certainly, I don't think it's going to speak well for themselves. But uh, but for us, it certainly does. But but you know, we're not, we don't come at it from that perspective. We're we're listening. We're we're paying attention, and and it, it's a different approach. So uh, I think it's going to be just as dramatic as if he stayed. I I, I think for the Alberta Party and and for anybody else in Alberta politics, to be quite honest, I think. Uh, we're going to watch a, a bit of a circus going for the next six months. I think they're going to tear each other apart uh, because those factions can't come together. And you know they were built to they were built to win an election, but they weren't built to govern the province of Alberta. And uh, that's the, we're taking the opposite tack. We're trying to build a team that'll that'll govern the province versus uh, you know we hope hope sensibility will help us win, but but we have to come at it from a right place. I'm, yeah, I'm, I think go ahead, Barry Kathy. said Barry said something there that I, I think really needs to be discussed more, and that's that uh, this this marriage 
of the far-right conservatives and the libertarian faction and the <clears throat> more centrist progressive conservatives, this is, this is a dysfunctional relationship. And it may have worked under Stephen Harper when the federal parties merged, but not only was Stephen Harper a different, a different style of leader, that was a different time when we weren't being bombarded and exposed to our politicians every day via social media. Stephen Harper really didn't have to deal with some of the more wacky parts of his party going online and saying really stupid shit and making the party look the fool. And uh, Kenny, well, Kenny's done it himself a little, but he's also had to deal with that. I, I, I can't understand this insistence on the part of conservatives that they have to marry all these conservative parties that have nothing in common beyond conservative in their name. It's just not going to work because you you can win with that formula. You can't govern with that formula because everyone wants to govern in a different way. So until conservatives in this province figure out that the far right and the right are two entirely different factions with two entirely different approaches, we're going to have this problem. You can win with the formula. You can't govern with it. Well, and I think the other, the other problem we have is we, 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 we tend to want to label everybody with something. Like, you know, when it's come to the point where you're a conservative. And yes, you know what? I'm a fiscal conservative. I think you pay for what you get. You, you determine a list of services and then you go to the people that you're representing and say, look, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars. You're going to support that or you're not. Um, but I'm, but I'm also uh, very progressive on on issues of uh, discrimination, racism. I, I, I've I've lived it as mayor here in, in the city of Brooks, and you know those things they 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 they're part of a community. But we tend to pundits do it, journalists do it, and certainly people do it. They want to label you something. I remember when I first became leader, somebody said, "Well, what are you?" I said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "Well, what are you a conservative? Are you a liberal? Are you a are you a socialist? Are you a, what are you? And I said, well, you know what? Actually, I'm a problem solver. Uh, I, 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 my, 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 my kind of, uh, my thing is bringing people together and, and putting solutions on a table and trying to move them forward. I don't know what that makes me. And I actually went into Wikipedia to see if I could find a label for myself. And guess what? It didn't exist. But, but I think that's one of the problems as well. We tend to want to pigeonhole people in a, in a place with a name and then say, well, you can't move outside of that. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That constrains all of us hang on a second what did I think you, what hang on please oh, we'll come right back to you barry what in the hell did you google to try to find a label what where did you go in wikipedia you can actually to, go in did, yeah you can go to wikipedia and go uh, what are the political uh, ideologies and there's like 80 or so is it like a them. it's like a word cloud where you just yeah, type in just, your priorities yeah. and then it sort of it shoves you it shoehorns you into a certain camp and you go oh that i'm a libertarian okay that might have been helpful yeah but, that's, uh, no there was a long list of ideologies you know what though barry people it, it, it you came not so much you but your party the alberta party came up in conversation on our roundtable yesterday and i wish i could credit the real talker uh, there's a lot happening on the live chat so i missed it but but someone wants me to ask you uh, why doesn't the Alberta party brand itself and market itself as a small c conservative party it's, it's it seems like a no-brainer considering where you are uh some people do see I mean to to 
pointed out, maybe state the obvious, a lot of people have a hard time figuring out what the Alberta Party's all about. And that's got to be standing in the way of a, of a membership boon, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And I mean, like I said, I'm, uh, I'm a fiscal conservative. So that makes me a small C conservative. I guess that's what, what it is. I, I, I just, again, I, I really have trouble marketing myself or the party as a thing when, you know what, there's so many unique communities and unique situations across this province that you can't take the same uh, shoe, you know, you can't shoehorn everybody in that same spot. But, but I mean, clearly on those issues when it comes to uh, what Albertans are looking for. I think we, we represent them. We sit in that middle and uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's hard to define, but the, it's practical. And uh, it, 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 labels make it hard. I think um, practical practical is a really important word blaze at the same time i mean your work in politics has has been to 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 target a demographic or or to capitalize on to to finely tune and focus messaging to reach a certain group right i mean what's your assessment with regards to what barry's saying and then the bigger picture too of the united conservative party as well well i think we're we're uh in burdened by by these outdated labels of uh, what it means to be a conservative, what it means to be a liberal, uh, a social democrat. I think there's a, a realignment underway and no leader has taken the uh, the leap of faith to try and harness those uh, where people are at and and bring them together on matters where where there is agreement. I think, uh everyone likes to call themselves a fiscal uh conservative and socially liberal and really what does that even mean anymore um but i i, th I think i think the realignment right now and i think the most uh voter rich realignment is to focus on working class issues like i really don't know what middle class means i know what working class means uh and it, a lot of people out there are struggling, living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, they're paying more for everything. And there are no one's coming forward with tangible ideas uh, to help those people. Uh, we're seeing Pierre Polyev attempt to do that. But the fact is like the solution to his problem is for housing prices to fall. And that doesn't benefit a lot of people either. So who who's gonna come forward with, with the ideas uh, to protect working class people who are living paycheck to paycheck, who are struggling under a mountain of debt, uh, who are paying more for everything. Uh, I may perhaps Barry can harness that. I, I, I wish him the best of luck in that. I, I'm worried that conservatives aren't doing that, uh, that they continue to go back to like, you know, the, the, the well of, uh, balanced budgets uh, and, 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 and conscience rights and, and these things that are really divisive uh, and, and they're not articulated in a thoughtful uh, manner that in, encourages debate. And I, this is all very kind of uh, optimistic, uh, 30,000 foot uh, uh, um, pie in the sky thinking, but we, someone's got to come forward. Like we're 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 in this perpetual cycle of 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 strife and chaos here in Alberta. Uh, everyone's exhausted by politics. The last year has just been absolutely exhausting. 
the premier has been overexposed. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's always doing these Facebook lives, these news conferences and, and the, the, the party's numbers are getting worse. And then after yesterday, I think, I think voters are really going to look at the UCP and, and wonder if, if, if it's a serious alternative in the upcoming election. Uh, and, and that's going to be a serious problem for uh, the, the incoming leader. And then we're going to have a leadership race, a leadership race in which, you know, current cabinet ministers are going to be vying for the, the new leader. And it, it raises ethical questions about their, their current portfolio and what they're doing to pad their, their platform uh, before they announce. So I'm glad we're going into a long weekend. I'm exhausted. Shock, shocking news, Albert. I actually agree with almost everything Blaze just said. Stop the presses. Blaze and I are probably laughing about that harder than anyone else. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, centrist has become a four-letter word in politics in this country. And yet I think what most parties continually and consistently miss is that the vast majority of Canadians, even the vast majority of Albertans are centrist. They may be center right, they may be center left, they may be dead center, but the majority of us are centrist. What does that mean? Well, it means we want our government to handle the finances properly. We want them to stay out of our bedrooms and our wombs. This isn't complicated. It shouldn't be complicated. But when when we try to amalgamate parties where one tiny but loud faction in the party is more concerned about stopping the gays and stopping the women and the the rest of the stuff that we've debated and dealt with and the courts in this country have dealt with a hundred times over and we don't need to revisit, that's when we're going to have issues. Until, Until major conservative parties in this country define who they are outside of a big tent party, we're going to continually run into this problem. And there isn't going to be a Stephen Harper sweeping in to save these parties. There, there just isn't. No, it's I, a different time. And I think one of the issues, though, is, is to, to both your comments, is that it takes a little bit longer to have that conversation. And our current setup of how we kind of view politics or how we're, we're taking in that information and how we're judging, quite frankly, how we're judging politics and politicians is like on Twitter or on social media or the 30-second news story. I mean, you know, I, I often get from uh, people who are looking for the Alberta party to, why aren't you in the news? Well, because, the, quite frankly, a journalist doesn't call me because I can't add any more conflict to the story. I don't. So, so why would they call me? And, but the fact is they're not asking for a solution or they're not asking how we would do it different. To Blaze's point, uh, you know, we're not talking about, isn't there something more important than, you know, Devin Dreeshin or this and that and the other thing, isn't there? There are lots more important things, uh, but we don't, no one ever wants to talk about them. It's only in this kind of forum that people do. And, and, and then, you know, how do, we, how do we advance that? It's a bigger, it's a longer conversation. And when I'm with groups of 10 or 20 or 30 and we're talking about it, that is what we talk about. We talk about the opportunities for Albertans, how we can concentrate on the things that are important like healthcare and education how we how do we advance to the point where my grandchildren my children still have opportunity in this province but guess what you cannot get that on the news you cannot uh, have that conversation in social media unless you wedge out such a thin slice of it 
and attract attention, both negative and positive, that you get exposure. But then that doesn't advance the conversation. It's, it's a frustrating place to be. But, you know, I, from my municipal experience, I know people do. You, we get 30% turnout for voting because mostly people are happy with what's going on. That's my view of it. But are, are they don't happy? Have the conflict. I don't know if it's because they're they happy. Or, yeah, I don't think they're happy. I think they're disengaged. Yeah. And that's the challenge, right? There's, I, and especially, it, I know I'm online a lot. Blaze, you're online a lot. Ryan, you're online a lot. Barry, I've seen your, uh, your online presence tick up considerably over the last few months. If there's one thing the four of us know, it's that outrage is the, the theme of the day every day. It's not about communication anymore. It's about outrage. This is why I've changed my approach. I don't I don't debate people online. I don't argue with them because you're but not you're doing so good words. at it. <laughs> I just, but I don't enjoy it anymore. And I start feeling like, you know, I'm amplifying the negative. I, I'm also I'm, you're not persuading anyone. Online. No, we don't change minds fighting each other online. And oh, now we're we're trapped in this timeline where it's outrage, outrage, outrage. And then people telling us, well, you can't talk to this person because they're a conservative. You can't be friends with this person because they're a socialist. We don't like who your circle is. So we're shutting others out even more. How can we spend four years ripping apart, ripping each other apart online and then show up on each other's doorsteps and say, hey, vote for us. It doesn't work that way. And that's really become how politics functions in this province. I agree with Blaze. We need, if, if the UCP wants to see any success, if they want to come out of this and beat back the NDP, they've got to bring in a fresh face. They don't need uh, Brian Jean, who's quit twice at two different levels of government. They don't need Danielle Smith, who basically took out an opposition party by crossing the floor to join Jim Prentice and the PCAA. They've got to bring in a fresh face and they've got to be willing to let the more nutty faction of the party go. Let them go. They're they're loud, but there's not enough of them to really do any damage to the party. And if they let them go, then they might be able to pull in some of those more center-right people. Because right now- That's the problem. Yeah, they, they, they're the ones who buy the them. memberships. Yeah. That's the fundamental yeah. problem that we have. They're the ones who buy the memberships. But I think, you know, Kathleen, you keep talking about like a, a Stephen Harper figure coming in. Like, I, I think that's the other fundamental problem that we have this this cult of the leader as like the, the salvation for every kind of political movement. Um, you know, when it comes to sports, people cheer for the team. They don't cheer for the coach. Uh, they may cheer for a player, but we need. I, I, I understand it's difficult to get beyond this, but I, I think I think there's a fundamental problem with how we look at politics, and we all rally around a leader rather than a team. And if someone can find kind of the secret sauce to make ideas the number one factor, I think I think that's one step to getting beyond this problem that we the cycle of problems that we find ourselves in. I think the reason, though, that people are looking for that Stephen Harper is because Stephen Harper seemed to be uh, one of the few politicians capable of of keeping that uh, that big tent intact, of keeping the poles up, you know, and which is what you need when you're uh, amalgamating a, 
a faction of people who simply don't agree with each other. The big problem we've had over the last year especially is that the UCP has spent more time at each other's throats than they have spent governing. And Premier Kenny spent more time trying to please everyone instead of just doing what was most effective. And the the family drama that is caused, and now we're going to deal with this family trauma, drama at least until the fall. You know, we're going to have a, a government that is spending more time stabbing each other in the back, dividing up into factions over which candidate they're going to support than they are governing. I, I have to disagree. I don't, I don't think... Uh, Kenny's problem was that he was trying to please everyone. I think Kenny's problem was that he had a very clear idea of how to run this province that was from 2019 and he plowed ahead with it and he didn't adapt uh, his leadership style or his policies to the fundamental change that happened as a result of COVID. I think that's valid. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point that he, uh, he doesn't know how to bend in the wind to avoid breaking. Well, please, please give us an example. Like what, what would be something where you think he needed, isn't it funny in politics where you say, you know, he was governing based on a concept out of 2019. That's just an eternity in politics. You know, for most people, if you're driving a 2019 vehicle, you feel pretty good about your relatively new vehicle, (laughs) but your, your 2019 Dodge Ram still looks pretty good uh, unless it's that blue one. But, but what's a specific example of something where you think he really needed to pivot and, and, and maybe where he got exposed? Well, he, he, he kept talking about uh, his the 320, 350 uh, campaign commitments that they've kept. And frankly, no one cares about that. Like, I understand why he talks about that. That's about uh, establishing trust. This is what we said we do. We've done it. Therefore, you should trust us. The problem is, in between all of that, there's been a lot of things that happened that have kind of burned through that trust. So it just doesn't work. Um like they they haven't adapted on the insurance rates um the uh the energy rebate has is still is not out the door so they and 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 then and then they 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 cling to these these key messages when they're 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 uh pressed on it and it's just it's 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 so robotic it's it's i don't know it's 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 been frustrating to, to robotic observe and, is Robotics is a perfect word for it, Blaze. Even when Kenny was giving his resignation speech uh, on Wednesday, there was an aspect of, of that to him. I, I think for all the mythology surrounding Jason Kenny and, and who he, he's been as a politician, I think he struggles to connect with people on a deeper level. I mean, everybody can like Jason Kenney in conservative circles. He's been liked for a very long time, but I think he struggles to let down his guard and he's always on. He's always on, on, on. You you never see him without that politician facade. I mean, no one would have thought that Doug Ford would outwit and outlast the the conservative the mega conservatives in this country and Doug Ford's still hanging in there and I think that's really because Doug Ford has a sincere everyman aesthetic <clears throat> that people connect with he he doesn't pretend to be the smartest guy in the room ever he is more than willing to to look stupid and apologize for it and 
People like that. Doesn't make him a great premier, but people do like that. Jason Kenney is incapable of that. Jason Kenney cannot say, I screwed up. I'm sorry. He cannot hold uh, own his own errors. And for conservatives, especially, that's unacceptable. When, when the bootstrap faction hears their leader, you know, back away from any sort of responsibility, well, responsibility, personal responsibility is part of his ongoing rhetoric. That's not going to play well. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind just responding to a couple things there. You know, you'd, to, to Blaze and Kathleen's point, you don't know what you don't know. And, and the UCP and Jason Kenney don't know what's going on out here. They don't know what's going on. They, they don't know what's going on in Brooks. They don't know what's going on in, in inner city Edmonton or Calgary. They, they just don't know. They, they like to say they do, and they like to say they're supporting it, but they don't know. And you can't find that out unless, unless you go out and talk to them. Uh, to your point, Kathleen, about relationships. I mean, that's, that's why I feel I'm in a good position. I've toured this entire province from the smallest village to the biggest city. And I believe I've, one thing I've come to know is there's so much unique uh, separation between communities and how they need to approach problems that they need to be empowered to do them. You don't know that unless you go there. You, they don't talk to you about that unless you go there. And Blaze makes a great point about people, the affordability of people. People are struggling and and, you know, uh, we're, and we struggle to find the air to have that conversation. But I can tell you that you can't do it if you don't know. And that's one but, of the approaches we're quite different about is that our MRLAs are going to be able to do that and speak that and be part of that because it's important uh, to understand and know what's going on. You can't respond to that unless you do. But I think all parties are guilty of that to a certain extent. I mean, the NDP is an urban party. I don't think they're connecting with rural lights whatsoever. And oh, I don't, very I'm, very I'm not even sure they're they're trying, you know, whereas conservatives are they definitely have that that rural base, that southern Alberta base. And they know it, but they're sure not trying to connect up here. Yeah. But, but the fact is, the big issue on the issues for everybody, they're all the same. They just approach them differently. And you have to be willing and flexible to do that. The, the rural, the way people, rural healthcare in rural Alberta is different. They accept limitations, but there's a, there's a different expectation as there is in the city. And if, if you don't look at Alberta in its uniqueness and, and be able to uh, say, what are our outcomes? The outcomes we want are, are this and how we build that can be different. Uh, but there is no one in Edmonton. And, and I, as a municipal leader, I got to see it when neither of those, the last two governments, have ever bothered to talk to municipalities about, you know, what's possible? How can you help us? They don't. Um, they impose. And that's been a problem. I mean, we get more and more isolation at the top. Mm-hmm. We get power consolidated more and more and a completely out of touch uh, government. And that's, uh, we need to avoid that in the future. That's that's what I'm trying to do because I know it's been effective uh, for me as a governor in the past. And that's to talk to people in a grocery store down the aisle and say, hey, what's going, why can't we pick up your garbage properly? They tell you, and then there's someone in your system who can fix it for you. But Blaze, you that's- You don't a, know what you don't know. Uh, sorry to cut you off, Barry. Blaze, that's a strategy though, right? I mean, it's it's a provincial government, this government that, that has that has made a name for itself by being quite combative or establishing a certain tone with its relationship with the municipalities, right? Like, like with changes, everyone. To, changes to the MJ. Well, you're right, Kathleen, and that's a fair well, comment. Like everyone. The lack of consultation on virtually every file changes to the MGA, like, like downloading yeah. costs on policing. I mean, I could go for 40 minutes, <clears throat> but I'm not a panelist, please. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think they, 
they 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 burn through their you know historic democratic mandate within days you know like they went they went to battle with doctors with municipalities uh with teachers right out of the gate and i it, it really set the tone for a combative uh or sorry combative uh uh you know lack of uh thoughtful process I, I don't like getting hung up on process, but process always matters. Um, you know, they, 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 it, it started out as a very arrogant top down government and, you know, having worked there, that's exactly what it was like. Um, and, and that, that, that's how they ended up in this mess because that's how they treated their caucus. Uh, the ca- the caucus management is probably the most, uh, the 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 the, gra- the greatest error that this government committed, uh, having come from Saskatchewan, we had remarkable caucus management through uh, Premier Brad Wall. Caucus was held every day, everyone was heard, and you if you missed it, you better have a damn good excuse as to why you weren't at caucus. Um, it, it it was it was like Sunday mass. You you just could not escape it, and people were respected in it. Uh, I sat in a few of those meetings and uh, they were very thoughtful uh, and there, there were tense moments, but you know, you, you respected everyone. You, you, you were heard, you had an opportunity to speak uh, and, and the, the premier had to defend himself as well. Uh, and we just caucus was tr- treated with contempt. Uh, I think there was some staffing issues as well, where, uh, you know, caucus staff were representing the premier's office to caucus rather than the other way. And, and that's, that's why we're, we're at where we're at. I mean, it's a, one of a number of reasons uh, why we're at where we're at. And, and, and I, I just want to go back to something that the premier has done throughout this process is misrepresenting his opposition. And in doing so, he, he, he 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 fanned the flames of his opposition. His opposition wasn't just hard right. And regrettably, we're seeing how successful of a messenger he is because a lot of out of province media is reporting that Jason Kenney lost his leadership review because of the hard right. It was not the hard right. It was it was a bunch of factions who were frustrated with his his leadership style and his refusal to you know, uh, adapt, amend policies that look good on paper, but in execution uh, ended up being flawed. And it, it was made up of a lot of people, uh, libertarians, uh, folks my, like myself who were just frustrated with the tone and the, the treatment of people. Uh, and then, you know, there, there were anti-lockdown people who were also opposed. There were rural Albertans, there were urban Albertans, there were people from Edmonton. Medicine hat all over his his opposition is that is truly diverse. It, it was a big tent opposition, a big tent opposition. We, <laughs> I haven't heard that, but the, yeah, it is. Kathleen, go ahead. Can, can we uh, take a moment though to discuss the ab- the abject humiliation of him now unquitting? 
and staying on. Hey, Kathleen, I, let me let me provide some context here for you, because and, and I'll, I'll hand the mic right back, I promise. But as we've been talking, like at, people know that we do this live. Most people will listen to this later. But as we've been speaking and, and I'll look to the reporting of Kieran Levitt, who does a great job. He's the Edmonton based national news reporter for the Toronto Star. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Kieran Levitt. He says uh, he reports just about 20 minutes ago. Uh, Jason Kenney enters a cabinet meeting to a standing ovation, a round of applause. He says the most important thing is to focus on, quote, people's priorities, even though he signaled his intention to step down once a new leader of the UCP is elected. On to pipelines, says Kieran. Kenny starts talking about trade, his Washington, D.C. trip last week, energy security and the U.S. He says uh, this is Kieran, who's seen it all as a political reporter. It's strange to see this today. On Wednesday night, it seemed like Kenny had all but resigned. Yesterday, caucus agreed he would stay on until a new leader is chosen. Who knows when? Now he's holding court at a roundtable of cabinet ministers, many of whom likely still support him. Kathleen, like what what the hell is he doing? What, talk about talk about entirely destroying your own legacy. Does he think that he can just ride it out for a few months and they'll decide they're going to keep him after all? I mean, this is I, I get that that Jason Kenney has never done anything but politics in his life. He is a career politician. Politics is his bride. He is married to his ideology. I get all that. But there was this mythical political great that lived in our heads, that lived in in Canadian lore. And for me, if I'm just watching all of this dispassionately, I'm watching him destroy his own legacy on his own. He's going out like a fool which is really shocking to me because for all of Jason Kenny's character flaws, I never took him for a fool. And he just looks like he's clinging so desperately to, to his political life, his political career, this party, the, the office of the premier. And it's not a good look. It's not a good look for him. It's not a good look for the party. Well, I think it, you know, it speaks to the strength of the rest of them. I mean, when, when someone quits and then is, basically, you know, uh, applauded as the hero coming into the first meeting of the week. It just doesn't make any sense. There's a huge <laughs> vacuum there. There's a huge vacuum there. I, I can't imagine. I just I can't imagine it. But, you know, well, a lot I, of those people that, who are oh, clapping right now are yeah. making phone calls to fundraise for their own leadership. To oh, absolutely. I, I, I so it's it. pure, so get more of the it's same, pure spectacle though. right now. Yeah, it, it is. And it, it has nothing to do with good government, and which, which is unfortunate because to our point earlier, it's the conversation we should be having more about. Uh, but it looks like everybody's positioning, making sure they're in favorable camp, making sure they're mm-hmm. they're not going to, you know, get, get the ire of Jason Kenney in order to the damage my potential leadership hopes. We're just going to get more of this and Alberta is going to suffer as a result. We, we, we need to look for options. Uh, I present one. I think Rachel Notley does present one. I think we should be having those discussions about ideas and what the province looks like and, and not worry about not worry so much, but we're going to be enraptured by this. We're going to see news stories, and uh, which is unfortunate because we'll miss the conversation we're supposed to be having with Albertans uh, and and hearing what they have to say. Oh, it's going to be a cruel summer. It's going to be a cruel, <laughs> cruel summer. I mean, you think there's fractures in this party right now? Just wait to watch what a leadership race does, because sure, we might have you know Brian, Gene, Daniel Smith. I've no doubt Rick McIver is going to throw his hat in the ring because he'd run for dog catcher if it was an electable office. But we are going to see a few of the less well known and perhaps a little nuttier candidates come out too. I. 
I think it's going to be a hard summer for the UCP. It's a it's the worst possible time for a leadership race. We're still in a pandemic. We've got an opioid crisis. We've got a healthcare crisis. The party itself is fractured. They've spent so much time over the past two years stabbing each other in the back that the governing has just gone to hell in a handbasket. So I, I think it's going to be hard for them to keep it together through this leadership race. And it is going to be a cruel summer for the rest of us. Y'all might want to take some time I, off social media. I want to, uh, <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You know, something that not a lot of people are talking about um, is this Pytel report, this HR report that the government's sitting on. And uh, this amid allegations that there have been real problems behind closed doors uh, that that include but are not limited to uh, excessive use of alcohol, uh, mistreatment of staff members, allegations of uh, sexual harassment, etc., I want to ask all three of you about this in particular, Blaze. I mean, you were there at the Alberta legislature. Can you comment on the significance of this report and uh, and the government sitting on it? People are starting to more prominently. I'm noticing it from the grassroots demand that that report be released. The government sitting on it hasn't released it yet, obviously. I, I, I hope they release the full report. Uh, as I understand it, they committed to releasing their new policies. I think it's it's important to shine a light on the culture uh, under the United Conservative Party government culture. And I think a lot of people participated in that that report in good faith. And they 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 participated in it because they thought change would come from it. Uh, and I, I worry it's going to be treated as another political document that can be gerrymandered uh, and, and dismissed as just a mere report. So I'm, I'm, I'm hope uh, I'm not hopeful. I, I, I wish they would release it in its entirety. I imagine there's she's she's a very credible uh, uh, lawyer and uh, human resources specialist, uh, and she's very thoughtful. And she went into this. <clears throat> not with a, a mission to protect the government, but to establish uh, good HR policies. I, I, people like to think that politics is this unique space where you cannot have uh, normal HR policies. And, and, and that's just ridiculous. It's just anyone who isn't uh, uh, willing to implement strong HR policies that protect their, their staff is, is, has no business being in charge of anything. Uh, staff need to be protected. Preach yeah, that. Preach yeah. that. And, and this is a pattern too, right? You you get a report. You you just you know kind of get the temperature down, and then when the report comes out, you you release it on a Friday. Just an executive summary comes out. Nobody really gets to redo it. <laughs> that that's that's another thing that's wrong. That in, enhances the disconnection that we have. People want. People are smart. They understand what these words mean, <laughs> you know, lack of whatever everybody else seems to be withholding things from them. Transparency is an important part of government. And you take the government leaders have to take the good with the bad um, and, and hopefully learn a lesson if things don't go well. But you have to get people involved in the process. You have to trust them. There's no way they're ever going to trust you if you don't trust them. So give them the information. Uh, your job as a governor is to do better, learn and do better and move on from there. But hiding things is, is a pattern this government has done, uh, whether it was the RCMP report, uh, whether it was the report with Madhu, I mean, you know, on and on it goes. Uh, they just, they, they, they want to hide behind some, they think they can be smarter than us. And the fact is they're not, it's, 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 uh, it's yeah. not, and it's not acceptable governance. 
That's um, that's probably my main frustration with this government, Barry, is that I'm tired of being treated like an idiot. I'm trying. I'm so tired of this government looking at all of us like we're fools, uh, we're we're uneducated. We don't have the in- intellect required to really understand what they're doing. We understand what you're doing. We don't like it. Yeah. Stop trying to hide the rest of it from us because right. we're on to you. It's insulting, and it should be insulting to every Albertan to be treated like a fool, to be consistently lied to, to Jason Kenney promised he was going to give us the most transparent government in this province's history. And what he has given us is lie after lie, scandal after scandal, cover up after cover up, and frankly, really shitty governing. That is and, and uh, okay, Barry. Rap, and I, yeah. I, I, I just looked at the clock and went, "Holy shit!" <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. Go ahead, I think. I, I think this is the pattern we have to break. We, we really do, and and every single MLA in that legislature is responsible to do it. That 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 report, that re, those reports, that information that comes out. You know what? Your 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 constituencies or constituents, sorry, voted for you so that you could be a conduit, not just one way, but also for that, to make sure that you're bringing information to them, not the speaking notes, not the briefing paper. Uh, that's because that's all a UCP MLA ever brings to my area is the, the last publication that their press secretary gave them. Hmm. So that, that's not good. We, 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 we have to do better. That's, and and uh, that's the, my promise to everybody. Barry Morishita. I like that you got that little campaign in there at the end. Barry. Hey, why are you here oh, if you're Barry. not going to do that? Why are always you gonna... be campaigning. Always be I campaigning, baby. <laughs> ABC. That's Barry Morishita, leader of the Alberta Party. Uh, Kathleen Smith uh, joining us. Make sure you subscribe to the Women of Alberta Politics podcast. You can link to it all through her Twitter account, Kiki Planet, even though she's not picking fights anymore. I got to say, Kathleen, I love that you're keeping it classy, but but I love that firebrand, too. I mean, that was... Uh, I'm an old now. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm an old now. Yeah, got to yeah, take yeah. care of the ticker. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. And Blaze Bomber from National PR. It's always great to get the three of you here back on the show. Thanks, Thanks for doing this and have a great long weekend. Thank you. A good, a good, good conversation. Uh, Johnny's just looking Amazing. at me. He's like, you're like, you're like, we still going to get to trash talk, pal? Or like, what's yeah. up? We got to get moving here. I could talk. I could, I could listen to those three go back and forth talking because you could take that in any direction on any angle. And I think it's three respected points of view. They don't come at everything from the same angle, uh, but this is what we want real talk to be known for. And 100%. this is what we bring you, what we promise to bring you all the time is like civil focused, real conversations about issues that matter and are relevant to real people. And I want to thank you all for your participation as well. I also want to give a big shout out specifically to Brenda. Brenda in our live chat. Don't think we don't see you, Brenda. She's every single every day. day she's in there saying, every make day. sure she's saying, make sure you hit like, make sure you smash first like. one in every morning. What a beauty. Mm-hmm. So Brenda, hey, let's just dedicate this show to Brenda and to everybody else that's that's liking and subscribing, sharing, leaving comments. We really appreciate it. I hope to see a lot of you out at the Ranch Golf and Country Club on Thursday, June 23rd. It's a 2.15 p.m. shotgun start. It is the inaugural, the first ever Real Talk Golf Classic. Registration is now open at ryanjesperson.com. You just go to the events link. You click on the Real Talk Golf Classic and you take it from there. Every single dollar that we raise from this golf classic is going to fund our Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. A dear friend of ours, her legacy lives on in so many ways. One of those is a $5,000 annual scholarship for a post-secondary student who's lost a parent to cancer. 
you can help us build that scholarship up by attending our golf classic. Oh, and it's going to be a ton of fun, by the way. An afternoon of golf, a fabulous steak dinner, some great prizes and giveaways. And you should see the sponsors list on here. Like who's going to be on the holes handing things out, the hole-in-one prizes. We have two cash prizes already for holes-in-one. Plus, St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge are there to give away a Jeep if somebody holes out. So this is going to be a great time for a great cause. On June 23rd, ryanjesperson.com. Click on the events link. Hey, Johnny, did you see you got a shout-out from Baseline Dairy Queen on Twitter? Did you see this? <laughs> yeah. They posted, Dilly Bars are for everyone. And they posted a photo of these non-dairy Dilly Bars. They're actually really good. <laughs> made with coconut cream. And I say, yeah, they are. Just ask Johnny Infamous, because you do the double dilly. I do the double dilly dip, is what <laughs> the they call it. double dilly dip. Yeah. The Triple Ds. Well, the Baseline Dairy Queen team uh, replying to us, they say he's got good taste. A lot of respect for you. (laughs) If you're swinging by a Dairy Queen this weekend, make sure if it's anywhere near where you're at that it's the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Great friends of the show, and we're proud to partner with them. Our friends at Eden Landscaping know that urban front yards are challenging. The intimate space, the cookie-cutter layout, that strip of grass with that single lonely tree at Eden Landscaping, they can help you realize your yard can be so much more than the barely developed minimum. Outdoor spaces are meant to be good for your soul, for our climate, for our ecosystem. Learn about their urban butterfly yard approach by getting in touch with them at landscapeedmonton.ca. Think beyond a lawn. Bring back the purpose to your yard and make it useful for something other than your lawnmower. The team at Eden Landscaping wants to remind you, grass isn't much fun unless you're smoking it. I just, that's my favorite ad read of all time. What? Landscape Edmonton. Real? That's from their head office. And landscape. Yeah, we do need to party with the team at Eden <laughs> Landscaping, don't we? You know what? They'll be at the Golf Classic. Uh, There'll be a lot of grass at the Golf Classic. What? Green, on the green. What? For the golf course. Friesen.com is where you can learn more about great. Hey, speaking of smokers. Great smoker favorite. Sometimes this just happens. Sometimes the universe just gives you segues. You looking for Alberta beef, Alberta pork, Alberta chicken? Talk to an in-store real butcher at Friesen Brothers. Plus, garden season's finally here with great gift ideas. You can brighten up your garden, including baskets, planters, seeds, and vegetable plants. You know who you are. Your parents are coming over to visit. It's going to be the middle of July. Your mom's going to want to see the tomato plants, and you've either killed yours or you just never got them in in the first place. You run to Friesen Brothers. You pick up nice, mature tomato plants. You transplant them into your yard, and boom. You look responsible. You look responsible (laughs) and capable. I can take care of You look like you learned what your parents were teaching you all those years (laughs) of rearing tomato plants. They've got you covered. They're all about family at Friesen Brothers. Alberta grown, Alberta owned. You know, every Friday, our friends at Local Environmental, you can check out what they're doing at localenvironmental.ca. They give us a chance to, to blow off a little steam, to say what we mean, to mean what we say. These are all real emails received to our inbox. To talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's an exercise we call Trash Doll. All right, I feel like Cynthia speaks for all of us, maybe most of us anyway. She says, uh, I'd like to take a quick second to teach most of you something. I I like the spirit that Cynthia takes on this. She says, oh, you're going to teach us, are you, Cynthia? You're thinking, well, I'm just basing this, she says, on what I see every time two lanes of traffic go into one. It's so much worse now during construction season, and it would appear that most of you have no idea how to zipper merge. Cynthia says, there should never be one big long line with everybody being polite Canadians 
and then an entirely empty lane all the way up to the funnel point. You're supposed to use both lanes and then alternate like a zipper zipping up. She says, I did the right thing about a half an hour ago. Don't worry, I'm not texting and driving. And a couple of real heroes overcompensating in their loser rides went bumper to bumper to ensure that I couldn't merge in before one lovely lady finally did what she's supposed to do and let me in. Take two seconds today and YouTube Zipper Merge. Tell your partners, your kids, your friends will all be better for it. Less gridlock, better flow. Take care, real talkers. That from Cynthia. I love it. How about this one here? This was a good one from Joe L, who says the situation that happened, that school in Ottawa with the police, and national embarrassment. He says, I loved your talk on the dress codes earlier, Jespo. Says if they were asking female students to literally do a bend-over test to see if their skirts complied with the dress code regulations, those people should be charged, says Joe, with sexual harassment, singling out certain people for the way they dress because of gender, race, many other factors should not be tolerated. That being said, says Joe, I firmly support the idea that schools should have uniforms. The reason I support this idea, I had a friend in high school lose their life to suicide for being bullied for the clothes that he wore. Joe, our condolences. He says he came from a low-income family. The only thing his mom could afford was stuff from the thrift store. I truly believe if everyone had the same uniform to wear, he may still be with us today. Joe says, I'd also like to add, you guys were talking about Olympic beach volleyball outfits. Uh, These female players, they don't have to wear bikini bottoms. Says they have a variety of uniforms they're allowed to wear. The only stipulation is that both teams have to agree. When asked, most volleyball players prefer less clothing, so there's fewer places for sand to be trapped. Not saying I agree or disagree, but those are the facts. That from Joe L. A whole new meaning to sand trap. I didn't know that. And by the way, if you missed Farrakhan talking about dress codes, you have to listen to that interview from earlier this week. She is unreal. And finally, this one from Michael. Earmuffs, kids. If you're three minutes into trash talk and you're a kid, your parents need to have some better supervision going on. But if you are a kid and you're here, Mute it for the next 30 seconds because Michael's chiming in. He says to all the people out there on the left, on the right, in the middle, especially those with anonymous burner accounts on Twitter, filling social media with steaming garbage hot takes and getting into fights with total strangers, stop shitting in the pool. Michael says just because the pool's already mostly full of shit doesn't mean you aren't still a pool shitter. Do you really want to be a pool shitter? Clean up your act. Read a book. Go play sports. Watch some great cable TV shows. Just stop shitting in the pool. I'm not asking you to be part of the solution. I'm just begging you to stop being part of the problem. That from Michael, who rounds out Trash Talk this week. You can send us your rant, your rave, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Proudly presented by our friends at Local Environmental. You can check out what they're doing at localenvironmental.ca. Hey, it's a long weekend. Stay safe out there. Do not drink and drive. We'll be spending Monday with our families. We're back on Tuesday. Next week, we're going to talk more politics. We're going to get into this story about monkeypox. What's that all about? Plus, we'll widen our scope to international news stories too. In the meantime, Real Talkers, thanks for tuning in today. One love, and we'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory. 
the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.